This podcast is brought to you by All Things Film. Awesome. No, it, it really is. All Things Film, the web's premier collection of independent movie and TV related podcasts. For more, check out www.allthingsfilm.co.uk or search All Things Film on iTunes, Stitcher or TuneIn Radio. And now, on with the show. Hello, can be here welcoming you to watch Korean cinema 16 on Hansel and Gretel. This was originally recorded as watch Korean cinema 15 on Breathless and Hansel and Gretel. But the episode on the night ran quite long so I decided to cut it in half essentially to create a more easily digestible running time for you listeners. So last week you heard Watch Korean Cinema 15 on Breathless and this week in episode 16 we conclude this big recording by playing you the second section we recorded on the night. And uh, that will cover, as I said, Hansel and Gretel. Let's run through some contact information before we properly begin. This is What's Korean Cinema on the Podcast on Fire network. We are located on podcastonfire.com. You'll find this show on Korean cinema and shows on Hong Kong, Japanese and sleazy cinema at podcastonfire.com plus bonus episodes. Podcastonfire at googlemail.com is our email if you have any comments, questions or feedback. Join us over on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash PUF Network is the site that you can, the page rather, that you can click and like. But if you want to join the main discussion, head on over to the discussion group uh, that you can reach by conveniently typing in Podcast on Fire Network in the Facebook search bar. Follow our tweets at Podcast on Fire, that's our Twitter handle. I write about Hong Kong movies, Taiwanese movies, ninja movies, and adult movies at SoGoodReviews.com. And I video review at SleazyKVideo.com. And my Twitter handle is at SoGoodReviews. What's Korean Cinema is available on iTunes. Rate and subscribe. And please, if you have the time, write a sentence or two about the show. We would love to hear from you. And that will act perfectly fine as a review in the eyes of Apple. So uh, please share. We would love to get more reviews up there on iTunes. And you can also stream us via Stitcher Radio. They have an online presence, but the best way to stream us is through the applications available on the Apple App Store and Google Play. And on behalf of Paul Quinn, he runs Hangul Celluloid, reviewing Korean movies and interviewing various cast and crew in the industry so check that out links available in the show post i'd also like to give you a basic rundown of what's to come during this show because we have a couple of different sections and topics coming up and you'll find running times for each of these in the show post that is posted online or on your podcast app so we start with some very basic literary background because hansel and gretel is based on a on a european fairy tale after all that leads into a biography and discussion about director Jim Pilsung. And after that is done, the final part of the chat between me and Joey Lung of Terracotta Distribution it takes place, uh, focusing on Hansel and Gretel's journey to the UK. And after that is done, we cap it all off with me and Paul discussing and reviewing Hansel and Gretel. Welcome back, and the second review of this episode is Hansel and Gretel from 2007, Korea's version of it. Or is it? Is it an adaptation, or is it not? We'll see. Uh, plot from IMDb with some slight additions from me. After meeting a mysterious girl on a dark stretch of road, a young salesman, the character of Eun-soo, played by actor Chun Jung-myung, is invited to a beautiful house with bizarre secrets and no way to escape. And what I kind of added here is main mystery of this house is being the three children. The oldest, Kim Man-bok, played by young actor Eun Won-je. And his sisters, Kim Jong-hee, played by Shim Yeon-kyung. And little Kim Jong-soon, played by also little. <laughs> because she's only six years old or whatever. Played by little Jin Ji-hee. Three wonderful, wonderful little actors, uh, actors and actresses. And uh, background, obviously, it is half-based, kind of. I don't think it's a straight adaptation. 
and uh, why I am very vague about that, I'll come to actually because I I didn't sit down and read Hansel and Gretel again or anything. But uh, I'll, I'll make my point shortly. But obviously based on the German fairy tale of the same name by the Grimm brothers that was published in 1812, and as Wikipedia sums it up, Hansel and Gretel are a young brother and sister threatened by a cannibalistic witch living deep in the forest. In a house constructed of cake and confectionery. So there you go. Uh, familiar to most of us. That has a dark tone, and obviously this has too. You know, it's a dark toned, uh, dark Korean fairy tale uh, as made. But of course, this has been adapted numerous times globally, you know, into both opera form, um, a BBC TV series appeared in 19. I wrote 1937. That can't be right, obviously. <laughs> It's a, no, the BBC where fly came out of the gate making, making, uh, making adaptations. <laughs> so, but pardon me for that error, but it was, uh, there's been a BBC TV series at one point. Uh, uh, Tim Burton directed a TV special for the Disney Channel in 1982. And there was a twist on the story in the 2011 animated film Hoodwinked 2, Hood vs. Evil, where Hansel and Gretel, voiced by uh, SNL's Bill Hader and Parks and Recreation's Amy Poehler. And she was also on SNL at one point. And they were the villains in Hoodwink 2, Hood vs. Evil. Haven't seen that one, but hey, my, maybe it's pretty uh, pretty nice and pretty dark and creative. And in 2013, there was both the Hollywood actioner Hansel and Gretel, Witch Hunters 3D, which is a sequel, I suppose, uh, seen as the duo are now grown up and hunting witches or something. I had no interest in seeing that movie. And, and obviously, these are just like a few adaptations. So maybe, you know, I'm missing classic ones probably, but I just picked these ones out of the pile. Uh, it's a point here why I like am very vague about uh, if Hansel and Gretel from Korea is an adaptation or not, is that I don't think that there is a need to read a book or watch another adaptation to understand what the Korean, if we want to call it adaptation, is going for. It seems to me, and this is where you might, you know, bring some knowledge to the table, it seems to me it's a mild framing device for Jim Pilsung's film, The Fairy Tale, but it's not the fairy tale adapted beat by beat. I've, I've got, again, I, I still have two things to say about everything tonight. Sorry. Um, I've got two things to say. I, I agree with you. I don't, I think this is a, a nice little cover story that allows him to tell whatever story he wants to tell. For me, when you look at the tail end of, not the tail end of the film, but the once the story unfolds, um, the abuse of the young children, uh, to me, in terms of Korean cinema, says a lot about what the director was trying to do. There have been a lot of stories that have talked about the abuse of children in care homes. Um, if you look at The Crucible a couple of years ago, which actually brought a change in the law to, to sort of say, look, this has been going on for years, something needs to be done. And there have been a few films over the years that have tried to do a similar thing, I think that's what he was doing here. The problem is that because it's so mired in a Hansel and Gretel, Grimm fairy tales sort of deal, you, everybody almost assumes it's just part of the the dark fantasy and it almost gets pushed away as fiction. I think, personally, that he was trying to raise social issues with this film. And on that director, you know, Jim Pilsung. Uh, we have some things to say about this director who's not been around for ages or anything, but um, Hansel and Gretel was his second feature film, uh, but has divided his time between features, shorts, and a little bit of acting as well. Born in 1972, he began directing short films in 1997 with a movie called Souvenir. And leading up to um, his uh, feature film debut, he made other shorts such as Baby and Mobile. Uh, but debuted as director in 2005 with Antarctic Journal. And this was a big budget movie about an expedition set to reach one of the remotest points in the South Pole or on the South Pole with some added mysterious depths amidst the icy landscape. And this starred Song Kang-ho and was shot on location, believe it or not, in New Zealand, at least partly. It was reportedly not a hit upon release. So to throw it over to you, Antarctic, Antarctic Journal, in your personal opinion, how was it? Doesn't matter. Incredibly slow, incredibly dull. It looks 
astonishing that that's what you take from Antarctic Journal. Song Kang Ho's fine in it. He's usually quite good in what he does, but he's just a playing a part in a in a lackluster film. It looks gorgeous, and that's because of the production design. That's because of Ryo Tsungi, um, who also did the production design on Hansel and Gretel. It's a gorgeous-looking film. It's dull. It's slow. It's too long. The plot falls apart. Sorry. <laughs> no, don't need to apologize for me. I've never had any, you know, itching to see it or anything. It's like, uh, no, probably not. So, probably not now after this, after this uh, opinion. And I'll trust your opinion too. So, uh, uh, on the acting front, by the way, uh, Jim Pilsung uh, had a small role in Bong Joon Ho's Monster, you know, literally Monster Hit the Host in 2006, where he played a white collar worker who betrays his college friend. I can say this, I was one of the non-fans of the host, to be honest. Like, okay, it's okay, it's fine, I suppose. A little bit of family drama and a monster, but didn't blow my socks off or anything, to be really, really honest. Decent enough film. Nowhere near Bong Joon Ho's best. Nowhere near. Probably his weakest. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I, I never saw it as bad, but I, I went in with all the like praise behind me, knowing that oh my, people love this, and uh, I can see where it's what it's doing, but it's not blowing my socks off, and uh, it's fine, I suppose. Not an itch, not an itching to revisit it to anything at all. Never. So. Fair deal. Agreed. <laughs> agreed. Uh, but anyway, uh, on on the subject of agreeing, uh, you know, he uh, Jim Pilsong agreed to appear in the host in that role in exchange for Bong co-writing, uh, Bong Joon Ho co-writing the screenplay for Antarctic Journal. So there you go. He explored, you know, having explored horror in his debut, it seems like there is a horror element. Anyway, uh, Hansel and Gretel followed and further established um, you know, horror with that aura of fairy tale fantasy and some. You know, a reality check and reality connection, if you will, as Paul, as uh, Paul uh, said, and he this was obviously slightly molded, as we said, on the Green Brothers uh, classical fairy tale. You know, it's it's referenced in the movie as an actual book, so they're all aware of it in the movie too that there is a book called Hansel and Gretel. So uh, it's uh, it's uh, done in that way. This Hansel and Gretel was praised critically, won awards on the festival circuit, but it also failed to light up the box office, and this made it difficult for Jim Pilsong finding financing for subsequent projects. But uh, what subsequently happened, uh, the same year as Hansel and Gretel was released, but the same year as Hansel and Gretel was released, uh, Jim Pilsong and Kim Ji-Woon, director of Tale of Two Sisters and The Good, The Bad and The Weird, as well as that Arnold Schwarzenegger movie that I'm forgetting what it's called, <laughs> uh, they began filming the sci-fi omnibus Doomsday Book, and that had several short stories in one. But lack of financing halted production, and it wasn't resumed until 2010, and ultimately released in 2012, too. Critical acclaim and awards, but a hit. Uh, I've, I've not noted if it was a hit or not. Do you remember how it went down commercially? Didn't go down well at all. Too specialized, too too weird, too unmainstream. A little bit, and there, there's a sort of a feeling that it it almost it feels like it rushes to finish, and I can't help but think that break that they had in the middle when they they restarted it, it was to get it done, and it sort of feels like it's to get it done. Were they both like on board with um, on board when they resumed? Um, as far as I remember, yeah. Um, whether 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 time and other projects meant that there was a limited time, I don't know. Um, but it it just it feels less than it should do. Um, it could have been it could have been a lot more. And a suspense drama about a married American expat who falls for a Korean femme fatale named Flower of Evil, the movie, entered pre-production but was shelved, as was the comedy Weekend Prince, which by all accounts sounded like a Korean The Hangover, so I'm glad, personally, that it wasn't made. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not a fan of any movie seemingly tonight, like, hated that, hated that, you know, I'm a, I'm a hipster that way, I hate everything that everyone likes. Yeah, I know, I know. Or I, or I, or I got good taste, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, go, go, go with that one. Alrighty, we'll settle on that one. In 2010, Yimpel Song was part of 
uh, 12 directors and cinematographers that shot uh, short films using the iPhone 4. And he directed the comedy Super Nerd, No Pain, No Gain, about two diehard iPhone fans and their journey to find someone who can attach a protective film to their phones without causing any air bubbles. And believe me, that is fucking hard. <laughs> I've tried it and failed several times. I like that setup. That's hard. You deserve a fucking Nobel Prize if you can get that done. That's that like space science to get that, get that done. But uh, yeah, <laughs> did you see that short film? Do you remember that? I, I haven't seen it. I'll be honest with you. Too difficult a story for me. I mean, getting getting that fitted on? No, no. It's just a panic there on the screen. There, I'll, I'll be like panicking in my sofa, like, oh my god, it is hot. Oh my god, I can't watch this. Totally. <laughs> Uh, Acting-wise, uh, furthermore, uh, Jim Pilsung starred in two mockumentary films, including uh, director E. G. Jong's Behind the Camera, about a filmmaker attempting to direct over Skype. But eventually, in 2014, Jim made and completed another feature, Scarlet Innocence, a retelling of the Korean folk tale uh, Simchonga, with seemingly some new twists as uh, made, because it used a uh, film noir style, despite being a Korean folk tale. So uh, mixed elements, if you will, and we'll bring you in again, Paul. If you saw Scarlet Innocence, yeah or nay? Not as yet. We spoke, you and I spoke about this a little, little while ago, I think when we were first talking about doing Hansel and Gretel, and at that point, it had just come out, and I was hoping about trying to find out where, who was going to release it so that I could see it, and I still haven't managed it's meant to be much, much better than most of his other films. So I'm very much looking forward to it, but I'm still playing the waiting game and I'm still contacting distributors going, can I please have your movie? So, uh, you know, hopefully sooner rather than later, I am looking forward to see it. And it is meant to be what he should be doing, really. Uh, big uh, budget, big stars kind of movie, or what is the profile of it, if you will? It pretty much seems to be average sort of actors and actresses that aren't necessarily big stars, but that do what they do well. Story-wise, very film noir, so it's going to be, again, not big budget, but budget enough. Um, it just it strikes me as a mainstream take on an independent film, which, which sort of works for me. And it kind of go. It's along the theme of uh, that um, releases and uh, certainly home video releases is uh, not uh, necessarily swift. In the case of all movies, even if made in 2014, you can still be waiting for a movie maybe six months later to hit a disc uh, of some kind. It seems like that anyway, depending on the movie. Totally, and you find it, it it tends to go in big clumps, so you don't see it for ages, and then suddenly you'll get access to a screen and then the DVD will appear straight away. Then, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So it's going to be, it'll all come at, at one point, uh, hopefully sooner rather than later. And some minor notes from director Jim on the making of conception and conception of, of the film Hansel and Gretel. That is, um, I, I took some snippets from the DVD making of, he confesses that the script was not perfect from the get-go, but had enough of a leaping-off point for Jim to go ahead. I believe he was the co-writer on it. Uh, the studio, which I think could be argued to be CJ Entertainment. Yeah. They reportedly wanted less, um, you know, elements and more of a compact film, but Jim pushed for fantasy and complexity, as he wanted, you know, the unusual and the untried and to be present in a Korean film for once, uh, in his words. Especially with fantasy elements was something he was very, very fond of. He praises the child actors as the script called for a wide acting range and they responded with great professionalism and volunteered to work even harder for the film. And, and here's something I gotta ask you if you know it. Judging by the night shoots with the children as documented in the DVD making of, it seems like Korean cinema has a different set of rules when it comes to how much even young children are allowed to work. It seems like they kept them there at night. If uh, the script, you know, if if uh, the schedule dictated that, that's when they had to show it. It's a really odd thing for Western viewers to deal with when when you're looking at child actors in Korea. It's all down to the parents. There was a film a couple of years ago that I've talked about endlessly called Ungyo, and the the main actress in that, who although she was older than the children in this, was still a minor, and the director went to their parents and said we want to do this, we want to do that. And as long as the parents say it's okay, the film company will allow it to go on. So I'm assuming that these three 
kids in Hansel and Gretel, their parents were contacting and they said, we need them to work nights, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And the parents okay it and it's okay, it's allowed, which wouldn't be the case here in any way, shape or form. So I think it's a fair thing. I mean, at least that's the approval you need from that. That's the like the ultimate approval from the parents, rather than like some fucking bureaucratic, bureaucratic like health and safety guy or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And it's not not like they abused them or anything, but they clearly the the like iconic scene, if you will, of uh, one of the kids uh, meeting our main character. You know, it's on the DVD cover and it's the poster that was clearly shot that night in the woods. And but she she seems you know spirited and what have you, and, uh, rather than like uh, drained and abused by working nights. So uh, yeah, Jim Pilsong addresses some concerns uh, that uh, and certain external voices thought that the film was too European in film. In in feel, he defends that choice because um, he wanted new things in his mind uh, into a Korean film, and some voices can't see or are afraid of the new in Korean film, like uh, the untried, if you will. And uh, even on a limited budget, he was very proud to see uh, the elements come to life in the, in his particular Korean film. And uh, and, and finally, and it's, it's clear in this film at least, he is a firm believer that you need to push in terms of develop your storytelling skills and your expression as a storyteller as much as when it comes to the visual side, the visual expression, to broaden the expression visually of stories that you've heard before and he certainly in my mind creates a balance between the two here rather than this just being a visual fireworks uh, only which it could have been but uh, it, it strikes a balance i think and to be truthful you know and be fair here and this is something i don't know paul was this at all like noticed in the korean film community or hyped up or was it like a really really small film that was barely heard of in the mainstream uh, pretty, pretty much came, went, barely heard of, which is a shame because I, I think it's quite something. I, we're talking about it, and I, I think we're talking about it because we both love it. But, yeah, it just it came, it went. Low, low admissions, definitely, yeah, in the box yeah. office. Wow. And is it, uh, not that it's due to it, but here's the thing I truly wanted to know. Is this, if you will, fantasy, fairy tale, even horror mixture, is it a rarity in Korean cinema, or does it uh, have uh, some kind of uh, bro- brothers in cinematic arms, if you will, that you can compare to? See, from my point of view, this is completely original, but there's a feeling that so many other people want to do it. They just haven't. If you look at Korean cinema, fantasy elements will pop up all the time. I mean, real, otherworldly fantasy elements, but they're always or nearly always, the images from within a character's mind, their sort of, their paranoid delusions, their imaginings, their, it's all, it's all psychological. Whereas this is a completely different world that this guy just happens to step into. So in that terms of that, the amount of fantasy and, and the context of it is, to my mind, completely original. And I think the fact that, especially in horror, these sort of nightmarish fantasies constantly pop up is almost reality Korean cinema wanting to turn itself to fantasy. You know, I think you mentioned it earlier on, Korean cinema loves its this is the way it really is rather than look at this fantasy world. Maybe hard sell to audiences too um, because it's not super common to go this far as Hansel and Gretel did. I mean, some so, some things that are mainstream in one part of the world is uh, commercial suicide in another part of the yeah, world. Yeah, totally, and, totally. So, so maybe it's a it's a bit of a risk taker, but it got made. We continue our chat with Joey Lung of Terracotta Distribution. This time focusing on Hansel and Gretel that has both DVD and Blu-ray releases for the UK market, courtesy of the company. So I guess the same question applies here, like we talked of in the first episode when we chatted about the Breathless and how it came to the UK. Uh, Hansel and Gretel, if I remember correctly, was your first DVD title. So. How did it all, uh, how, who discovered it, if you will, and, uh, and what was the process of getting this to the UK? Uh, I'll actually would credit my wife with this. Good, so good my, woman, good woman. <laughs> yeah. um, so my wife and I went out to, I think it was Pusan, it was either Pusan or Hong Kong Film Festival, I can't remember which one it was, 
or it might even be in Tokyo. Basically, it was one of the film festivals um, in Asia. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was Tokyo. And we went to watch some films, uh, trying to find our first title. We had in our heads both sort of like the same sort of criteria. It's going to be fairly commercial, but also accessible for UK audiences, uh, marketable, decent film. Um, if we could, we'd have a well-known director in there or a well-known actor-actress. So we came upon Hansel and Gretel, but not, sort of the poster wasn't that amazing. We thought, well, let's have a look and see what this is, because the name sounds intriguing. I think that's one of the major selling points, is if you put out a film with the name Hansel and Gretel, people know the grim fairy tale well enough that they'll automatically just have a second look at it, if it's on the shelf or the synopsis, right? So we're already on to a winner. So with that frame of mind, we went in and we watched the film, and it was it was stunningly beautiful. We watched it on the big screen out there in um, in Asia, and it was so fantastic. The sound was great. The set design's good because it is like the set is by um, the same set designer as uh, uh, the production designer of Old Boy, for example. That's right. Paul Quinn uh, loves that uh, designer, and I think uh, Paul Quinn, my co-host, has interviewed that designer and is, is in awe of uh, of uh, the work, but especially here because there's details galore here, design-wise, uh, and mm. uh, well, it's just well. It is. It's just fantastic. The, the colors are beautiful. The the detail, like you said, the slightly gothic influences in there, slightly sort of mysterious, eerie stuff in there. It's just it's just brilliant. And it fit the bill of what we looked for. Um, it was it was a title that had been overlooked or not touched by um, other studios in the UK. It had really strong direction and action. Um, and we knew it would be popular with the audiences. You know, put some good strong artwork out there. Um, work on the title. And it was very encouraging for us to actually release it. But, you know, it was a, what's the right word? It was a ready-built audience because you've got this sort of gothic stuff there already. It was at the time when Tartan Asian Extreme was fairly huge still. It was starting to dwindle back then. But you had those people who really, you know, piqued their interest with things like The Ring and Tale of Two Sisters, that sort of stuff, right? And 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 that's not you like riding like a shameless wave of exploiting the market because because the movie is is right there like yeah, it is yeah. it could be considered horror and it's nothing wrong sitting down thinking it's a tense scary movie without spoiling it you and I both know that it contains uh, emotional elements as well so yeah. it's it, it's not deception at all it's just a matter of there, there's a built-in brand there and a built-in genre but uh, hey you can surprise audiences too by not telling them of the multi-genre experience that it is. Yeah, no, that's that's totally correct. And that's why part of the reason why we loved it was there's so much going on in there. It's a twist on the tale. You know, we tell people it's Hansel and Gretel, but, you know, it's the kids leaving the adults to the woods. It's very twisted. And people like that, you know. People like that sort of something different and quirky. Um, and the Asia Extreme stuff, we felt that whole wave was about to die in ways. It felt dwindling. Um, and we wanted to do something a bit a bit fresher. I mean, they've got, done a great job. Tartan did a great job of building up the audience and exposing people to lots of different films and lots of very original films. Um, but again, going back to Hansel and Gretel, it was a time when there was Kofix support. Actually, as our first title, we had to go and introduce ourselves to all these different sales agents, um, the people who own the rights to the films and, and selling the films. So we had to introduce ourselves, give them a bit about our background, um, and imagine, like, no one, there was no terracotta, so nobody knew who we were, what we were doing, why we were doing it. Um, we approached them and we said, hey, look, we've got this fantastic idea. We want to do a film festival and distribution at the same time. We don't believe in boundaries. We don't want a company to be a physical product only and a company to be a festival organizer only. For us, it's about here's a film in Asia, here's an audience who want to watch it. Let's just use whatever avenues we can to get the two sort of like, paired together. And I think they liked that sort of like approach and the fact that no one was willing to take a pan and Hansel and Gretel. At the time, we didn't know it. Being very good sales agents, they didn't tell us. But apparently, it didn't do so well at the local box office. But we watched it. And we we didn't. We, we weren't commercially savvy at the time to start evaluating these sort of things. We just saw a film we loved and we want to do it right. Um, and so they they liked our enthusiasm and said, okay, we'll sort of let's take a, a first step with you guys. Um, and see how you do with this film, and then we talk about other films later down the line. And that that company will always hold a special place for us because they trusted us in the first meeting. They took a punt on us, and they really helped establish us. They gave us one of their titles, which they thought would be quite sellable, and you know we managed to release it fairly well in the UK and really help set us up. You know, and set up the terracotta name. It was a great discovery, I think. My Korean cinema viewing habits tend to lean towards 
without me knowing it, movies that were actually flops, even though they were critically acclaimed uh, movies, like uh, Save the Green Planet is another example that pops yeah. up, like not a popular movie box office-wise in Korea, won a ton of awards, but uh, and I think they, this um, uh, might have been awarded on the festival circuit, but uh, hey, at least they are widely available, and that's where you come in, you've, you've made sure not only the local Korean release is out there, but your UK release, both on DVD and Blu-ray nowadays, so uh, you know, a quick question, and that brings up the fact that we forgot to mention that Terracotta also runs a monthly film club. Do, do you screen your own material also, or do you focus on uh, various other movies that are not planned to be Terracotta titles on disc, if you will? Uh, a mixture, a whole mixture. So the film club is a monthly free event, but because it's so oversubscribed now, we've decided let's like, let's maybe make it like a small donation, like a pound or whatever it is, right? Yeah. Or, or or you know make some donation on your way out or something. You know, stick a fiver in a beer pot. Um, so we just like to have fun. Basically, we do like a film quiz as well. Uh, you can win prizes for DVDs. Sometimes we let guest audiences curate it. We had a guy, Andrew Heskins from Eastern Kicks, come and curate a, a, a very, very funny sort of like Hong Kong. Uh, I won't name which film it is because I don't want to spoil it for people, but we had him curate a very funny Hong Kong supernatural movie from the 80s, which I even overlooked myself and I never saw when I was a kid. Um, and then sometimes we play films that are linked to the festival. So around about festival time, which is usually in May, we will play a film, let's say, in April to whet people's appetite and say, hey, if you like this film, there's more from this director or there's more of this style of film in the festival. Uh, or it might be related to a topic of the month. So if it's John Woo's birthday that month, we might play a John Woo film, for example. You know, So basically we like to have fun. It could be classic titles. It could be undiscovered titles. It could be films which were the opposite of what we just discussed, films that were massive hits in their home country but have never been released overseas for example so yeah that's that's basically the idea is just to have a more social experience because anyone can download and legally stream in their bedroom right but why do that when you can watch it together with other people like-minded who who are into asian films and and find out more about asian films you know we have a newsletter we tell people at the meetups what's going on or the film clubs what's going on in and around london well, where else can you see another Asian film or what's coming up, what festivals are happening? You know, we, we like to just promote everyone else's films as well. We don't believe in just self-promotion. We believe that the more people who are into Asian films and the more people who are exposed is also a good thing for us. So, Yeah, keeping the ball rolling and not just for yourself, but uh, for the community and nothing can like, you know, sitting at home watching a movie is not, I mean, this is self-explanatory, but it's not like the community experience so good on you for like still go, going it is kind of old school but it shouldn't be it should be still a part of the experience of uh... it really is not just about the community it's also about the the ethos that we had right from the start when we started here's a film here's the audience let's do whatever it takes to get that film there because some of the films we show may not be commercially releasable in which case, what's the other avenue? We really want people to watch it. What else can we do instead, you know? As a final uh, kind of tally, going back to Hansel and Gretel, uh, I mean, is this also a movie that you tend to return to um, uh, compared to Breathless? I mean, did, did this, I gather, sticks in your mind visually, regardless if you want it or not? I mean, uh, but, but is it also kind of a draining experience, you think, to experience over and over again? Uh, because as you well know also, spoiler-free, it turns quite harrowing and dark and emotional as well. I think because it's so beautiful, it's very easy and pleasant to watch in terms of the, the, the colours, the colours of the clothes, uh, the decor, the toys, the cakes, you know, this sort of stuff. You, you want a fairy tale to be magical, and it does have that sort of really bright magical element to it. And you're right, it does turn dark, which is what I love about the film, is the sudden unexpectedness that comes out of it. But let's not build up people's expectations because now they're expecting something that's unexpected, right? So, exactly. So. <laughs> do, do, I mean, you you probably view Korean cinema more than I do or watch Robert. Do you think this uh, is unique amidst the Korean cinema output? Or by now, do you think many movies have emerged looking and feeling like Hansel and Gretel, in your estimation? I think back then it felt like you could very sort of generalized stuff like Japanese people, uh, sorry, Japanese films would be very quirky and weird, um, and and Korean films would be very dark and revenge based, and it may be something to do with the national psyche. I don't know. I'm not a sociologist or a film critic. I, don't, I really don't want to comment or go down that route. But it just it just felt different. That's all I could say about it. 
when you watch something like Battle Royale or Ring or Infernal Affairs, you think, wow, that's different. That's something that Hollywood or British film industry would never have made a film like that. I think that's the same case for Hansel when we watched it. We had that sort of wow factor. Again, going back to the, the wow factor we had with Breathless, is it a film you want to shout and tell people about? And it was. So I would definitely watch that over and over again. It's slightly less emotionally harrowing because of that, the colours and, and the beautiful set design than Breathless, I think. With Breathless, it's very hard-hitting from the word go, and all the way through, it's just such an intense battering um, visually and, and emotionally, right? But with, with Hansel, it's, it's just, a, just a beautiful film to watch, I think. So let's review it then, Hansel and Gretel. And I started last time with a quick opinion. So let's hear your quick opinion, first of all, on Hansel and Gretel. I love Hansel and Gretel. That's my very quick opinion, my slightly longer opinion. It looks astonishing. And that comes from, again, Rio Sunge production design, which is just, she creates a, a complete fantasy world that's utterly believable, utterly beautiful and almost dark and scary. Um, even though it's not a scary film, particularly. Um, but for me, Hansel and Gretel is Shimyun Kyun um, as the older of the the young girls and Jinji He as the younger of the, the children. Those two actresses make this film what it is. You can take all the others and put them aside because those two are this film. Um, they're They're worth watching it for them alone. And yep, I agree. It's uh, it's pretty much a, a pretty much a home run. Uh, again, the mix of fairy tale, fantasy, and even horror, and and I think it verges on quite scary in certain scenes. Actually, it's not uh, wall to wall horror or anything, but uh, it, it certainly got to me. And it continues to evolve up until the end, where it reveals its dramatic elements and keys to the story and the meaning of it all. And very soundly made as a horror movie and drama. I'll get to why that later and what it means. And doesn't push too hard. I, or, okay, I guess this explains it. It doesn't push too hard noise-wise in any of these areas, horror and drama. Uh, but uh, those details are reserved for later in the, in, the, in the review. And the visuals don't overtake the story. That's a key. Because the visuals are so splendid. And the production design is so splendid that... It could have gone overboard in the hands of an ill designer and an ill director, if you will, just falling in love with design only. But nope, the elements uh, mix here. Main actor uh, Chun Young Myung looks like a young pup. You know, I, I can just imagine that. Yeah, he's not been in a lot of like noteworthy movies, but he has like given a big lead role. Maybe he's had ten lead roles before, but it feels like he is a fairly young actor responding to material big. Big time, you know, finally getting some material to work with. And, and I think, uh, Chun Yung Myung's performance can be a quite a, um, confusing one because it seems like he's, uh, wooden and not emotive at all. But that's kind of the, the tricky thing with his performance that he's, he's obviously thrown into this world after this car accident. You know, he, he's in a ma- some kind of magical, magical threatening woods and he's, Obviously confused throughout the movie and uh, shocked and scared, and uh, but you realize by the end that this actor has, you know, at least for this movie, has some emotional chops. And and this is all my way of saying like veteran actor, or like new to the scene via Hansel and Gretel, or what is that say about uh, Chun Young Myung? Character actor that's been going for a few years. He's done a, a a few things. He's decent enough. The best thing I've ever seen him in was actually a drama which was, oh, I'm trying to think when, maybe three, four, maybe even five years ago, um, called Cinderella's Sister. <laughs> it's like another story, almost fairy tale, but uh, it's not to do with Cinderella. It's, kind of, it's, this, it's a similar sort of deal where, you know, you've got the, the sister and the evil, blah, 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 but it's all based in reality. And his character in that is, is quite similar to his character in Hansel and Gretel, completely out of place, completely, you know, off kilter. Um, And he carries it through quite well. I think, yeah, he does seem initially wooden in this, but I think that's the way he's meant to. Exactly. It's by design, but I think some people can kind of, "Eh, what's this? I don't like, I think it's it's a performance you have to stick with a little bit as well. In general, in the supporting roles, I suppose, is this at all populated with the A-list or like small time 
character actors, supporting actors uh, in other movies. You know, if you think uh, to be, uh, if you think about the other adults in the movie, the other adults, it's pretty much again decent name actors that aren't huge, huge names. You're not talking Song Kang Ho, but they're big enough. You know, the whole thing, as I said before, is Shimun Kion and Jinji He. Little Jinji He, the youngest of the children, even though she, I don't know what age she was in this, what, nine, ten? Oh, it looks like five or six. Five or me. six, seven. She'd, for several years before, been in a number of films. Similar sort of time as this, she did A Man Who Was Superman. Uh, she's done oceans of stuff before an actor as a child actor. And it's it's her that's the name. It's Shimian Kian who has gone on to she's she's a name now. She's been in Miss Granny, she's been you know, she was in Masquerade, she's she's a huge actress now and she again was a child actor and they were the big names for this. They were the, the draws, if you like. Um, and and quite rightly so. Both those girls have gone on to have huge careers. You know, um, little Jinji, he, who's now, I guess, hitting twenty twenty one, was recently in Boomerang Family, um, which is also a terracotta release. And it's quite interesting to see how she progressed. But from my point of view, the other adult actors, yeah, they're they're great character actors, and you see them in a lot of films, but they're not huge names. And I think that was the point. It was the kids that are the actors of this film. Oh yeah, they they they, they certainly bring it home. And uh, I don't know, do, do you remember like when being hit by this elegance and confident feeling, like taking us into this other world that is like, I don't know, a kilometer or two outside of the real world's highway, you know? How, how was it like seeing this Korean film do something you hadn't seen in like Korean cinema at least frequently before? Like, uh, it must have been very much a different experience going into this. Uh, this it really is a fireworks of 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 design and mystique, uh, without it being uh, like um, intense or anything. But uh, do do you remember like being like, whoa, interesting? I remember the moment incredibly clearly watching it. The first scene where they go in the film and and the main male character looks round and sees all the little bears and. You've got that beautiful, overly coloured, you know, cinematography, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I can remember thinking, who who did this? And searching it out and finding out that the production designer was Ryu sung And I'd heard her name before, but she'd never, you know, she did Old Boy. She did, she'd done almost every film you could mention. And I knew who she was, but it was Hansel and Gretel that put her in my mind. And at that moment, I can remember thinking at some point, you know, everybody thinks I want to interview that actor. I want to interview that actress. I want to interview that director. At that point, I thought I want to interview Ryo sung And just last year, I managed it. And I was in awe for the entire interview. And a lot of it comes down to what she did in Hansel and Gretel. I was shocked it was so different to what I was used to seeing in Korean cinema. It really, really is like this production design and prop triumph because it, it's it's supposed to be a warm house, but obviously you you get so it's otherworldly perf- perfect, you know, because it seems like it's Christmas in that house all year round, the Christmas tree and the train, and uh, and then you see like the creepy dolls and the creepy bears, you know, it's uh, it's dissing and confusing and any it's a seduction is what it is. That they really is, yeah. We won't spoil obviously this movie, but that there is they want this guy to stay more than just the night while he waits for his car to get fixed or the daylight to to hit so he can find his way to the highway again. But it is, you know, there's cookies and candies and the surreal, like, family vibe and smiles and generosity. I mean, it's... And, and even mis- mysterious, like, uh, behavior by the kids as they are mimicking him mimicking him as he eats and drinks, you know? Like, why is that? Like, are they so in awe of him? Like, And these hints dropped are very confident and not confusing hints 
by Jim Song, which uh, I think is a thread that runs through this movie, just like Breathless, uh, the way it drops, you know, character hints. Um, I I love the fact that from the very very outset, those those smiles, especially the the parent the parent characters, where you look at them and you just you feel uneasy. It's the most open, warm smile, and it just feels fake. And and instantly you just know there's something not right. But he's not pouring it on, which is fantastic. Yijin Song. like there is this, you know, he makes you go, hmm, huh, hmm, intriguing, but not because he's like mystery. Look at that! Oh, it's so mysterious. Loud noises on the soundtrack. No, nope. it's a calm, measured style rather than a frantic camera amping up the dread and the mystery, you know, the mystery of the house, the mystery of the forest. That atmosphere here, thankfully, is calm, measured, and professional. Confidence and professionalism, that really is one of many keys here, while, you know, he drops vague hints uh, that something is off. And even the horror tactics, because there is some horror tactics here, they are very... For, for for something that is very modern with a big 5.1 soundtrack, it's very. There are jumps that aren't that aren't as loud as you are used to in movies. Uh, those loud jumps in movies obviously startles rather than you being frightened. But the cuts to a door slamming or someone standing in the hallway, just it's designed with dread in mind, rather than you know, a big 5.1 Dolby Lacey push. And I absolutely respect that infinitely, that Jim Song is not, uh, you know, that, that could have even been pushed on him by if a studio wanted to interfere, like, yeah, well, you gotta get them jumping in the seats, man. Be loud. But nope, it's pretty damn quiet, but it's, yeah. I, I, I find that creepy. Yeah, so do I. Much more creepy than a big boo explosion bang 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 you know he even uses like I, I love this it's almost like it could be parody but at one point uh you know the male uh our male character uh actor chun yung myung goes into the attic and he obviously explores the house because he's 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 witnessed that the parents are arguing and he's heard like uh something like i can't do this anymore i can't do this anymore it obviously the ambience starts being enhanced, it's quite scary, and he goes into the attic, where, like, black hair drops into the frame from, like, the hole in the attic, and you think to yourself, oh, no, the ring thing all over again. Asian horror. That, like, feeling and thought goes away in a millisecond, because the way he uses it, it's just hair that drops into the frame, and what and what it is, ultimately, which I won't reveal, makes, you know, you think less of horror cliches and much more about the interest you have in this vision and wanting to go forward. Like, what is this? I mean, it's genuinely creepy what goes on in that attic. And uh, after a while, you're in his hands. I mean, you're in Jim Pilsong's hands fairly. Like, this audio and visual story and story experience that isn't, uh, you know, an experience that is uh, loud and... Uh, and uh, you know, a ride that you just sit back and enjoy. You, you know, you have you have to pay attention too, but it's not it's not incoherent at all, which is uh, great because it could have been, you know, as the story like uh, layers got uh, put in front of us, it could have been incoherent quite easily. But I think it keeps it pretty much in check, and uh, even though it becomes complex by the end, which we won't spoil, as I said, it, it keeps it pretty much in check. It, it's a confident man directing this movie, I think. Or well, what do you think, Paul? Yeah, totally, totally agree. He holds it together really, really well, which it would have been so easy for it to just go into the standard Hollywood fantasy horror, and it just it doesn't. It holds it together well, and as you say, that attic scene really has an originality that just says he knows what he wants, he knows what he's going to go for, and he's going to do it regardless of what anyone else wants. It's very imaginative, clearly, uh, too, and uh, and has got a team that can bring this and him this imagination to life, and obviously he brings that too. It's like a maze and a trap. This whole house, you know, and every element thrown at us 
maybe I'm exaggerating, but a lot of elements thrown at us are very unpredictable ones. You, that's why I find it so intriguing. Like, I don't know where this is going. Like, yeah. in one scene, I mean, uh, uh, actor Chun touches, you know, the oldest of the kids, uh, grabs his arm, and all of a sudden it starts smoking. Like, oh my God, are they mm. dead? But that's like, he's not dropping the entire like story on us right there. That's what they are. That's what happened, you know. But rather, it's like, oh my god, who, you, how does that? Well, go on. Like, yeah, I want to know more. Yeah. Like, you, you, rather than uh, boring us with such a d- development, it's so fascinating and so the, the grip on us is pretty damn amazing. And you flip flop too between uh, there is evil here. We can say that is it the adults or is it the kids or what is it? You know, that flip flop is very. Effective, especially with the introduction of uh, of the uh, preacher uh, later in the film, and and his uh, who's who's obviously got something on it. <laughs> he, he he doesn't look warm at all. Let's just say like the, there's a well great casting in that regard. <laughs> like uh, cast a creepy guy, that would be good. Totally, totally. I don't have the actor's name unfortunately in front of me, but Parkinson. Any familiarity? Uh, pretty much character actor him and. The lady that plays his wife, Park Lydia, they they sort of, they've been on the scene. You recognize their faces, but they've never, they've never been a draw, if you like. They've never been a, you know, starring, blah, blah, blah. But he is one of those recognizable faces. Does a great job. And uh, again, to emphasize, uh, I in a way think so personally that Yim Pilsung never asks us to, um, you, you know, bone up on. Hansel and Gretel, because otherwise you're fucked, you know, with my movie. But uh, no, it's 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 its own experience using that as a minor frame device, if anything, in my opinion. And uh, I, I I love that because um, sometimes you do want to s- sit down and not, you know, do your homework prior with with movies and ad- and adaptations. And I think that's uh, totally that's wonderful. You have a uh, uh, praise the child actors and again they're very in tune you know even the youngest ones it seems like they've got and you've explained that they have prior experience and bring such a professionalism to these roles even the youngest one and even if it took time to get the balance right you know take off the take and maybe they were distracted because there are kids after all it, it's time well spent because they are the glue for this movie performance wise and they're they're like the nuances that they bring are the journey we take with them in terms of who they are and what they are good or evil it, without that they obviously it's so much would have crumbled here uh but they 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 are the glue for the movie and they are fascinating performers and i'm, I'm glad to hear that they're still developing rather than being like uh, one-offs in the uh, Korean cinema industry and uh, and they're glad they're not like swallowed up by the industry either seemingly. Well totally I mean the the first time I ever saw Simon Kyun who's the older of the the female children was in Hansel and Gretel and the first scene you see her in when he collapses in the forest and she turns up with her little lantern there, as he moves towards her, she takes a tiny, tiny step back. And at that point, I just thought she's quite something. There's a later scene where she, her face is full screen on the camera and she's crying. And as I wrote my review of Hansel and Gretel, which is on my site, you can go and read it. Um, I actually wrote the words, Shimmy and Kim will make you cry. And I, I swore at that point that she would be a big star and I've waited through the years to watch her career go, which is why I'm so obsessed with saying that she's, she's gone hugely. Miss Granny, which was out a couple of years ago, was her first starring role. If you like, she's, she's been building her career as it goes and it's an incredible film. It's a lighthearted throwaway piece of movie, but she's astonishing in it and she is going to be, a massive star, and you can see it in every frame of Hansel and Gretel. You really can. She's a, she's astonishing. Um, so there you go. I was right. She's going to be a star. <laughs> I win absolutely nothing. <laughs> I win. I win. I I told you. 
And uh, yep, yeah, you talk talk against that. Obviously, they they seem like such pros without being spoiled kids or anything. And uh, yep, yeah, they the making of them didn't give any impression that they were hard to direct either. It's like uh, look into the camera, like don't pick your nose. You know, it was, they didn't seem like difficult kids, uh, but rather they, they had fun and uh, but but still like consummate professionals and what have you. And again, Hansel and Gretel is a movie where you, where you don't want to spoil spoil it. Obviously, for non-viewers, we won't do a spoiler. Se- we want to do a spoiler section after the uh, the end uh, the end music or anything. I, I want to keep it uh, surprising for everyone. But uh, I, I'll say this: all of the fantasy build and all the horror and all the like scary sights adds up to us getting into the backstory that you hinted at, child abuse and orphanages with um, poor conditions or what have you. So it adds a layer of reality that is utterly, utterly heartbreaking. There's almost a reel of utter non-fantasy despair here, which is, it just hits you in the stomach like continually without being going overboard, but... That backstory adds a layer of reality that just makes sense. Like, Jim Pilsung is obviously, when, when making a fantasy movie, there is like no, an element of no rules here, but still decides to bring in reality that then feeds into the fantasy that, and the fairy like aspect and the horror like aspect of it that we're in, you know, in, in the present time for the characters. If he wanted to say that, if it came, if you wanted to say anything, Robert, and if it came through to any critic except you, then then good. Uh, I I didn't think that that far, but it fits to go to that haunting reality after having been in haunting fantasy, if you will. Really, really does. And it does fit regardless of whether you think of where it comes from or you accept it as just a part of the fiction. It It fits in so well with the fantasy that is a huge creation, this this entire world and why it's there. It just, it works in the story as well as whatever else you want to take from it. And, uh, I mean, being almost two hours, um, it's uh, it's such a well-paced movie, too. And, uh, you know, if you're on board early on with the constantly evolving, unpredictable time, it, it it's going to fly by. I mean, I, I remember watching it... Uh, Started watching it fairly late on the day I prepared, and uh, got an hour in, and then I sat down to do some other editing. And I thought to myself, I, I, I have time. I, I can watch uh, the rest tomorrow. I'll, I'll, I'll just watch a little bit more. And I finished it. Yeah. <laughs> so there you go. It's like the last hour, like phew, flew by because you are constantly interested in where is it gonna go? Because if you can predict this. You know, beforehand. Again, it doesn't connect, as far as I know, firmly to Hansel and Gretel. So if you can predict the entirety of this movie, then you're lying. <laughs> or have read it beforehand. Because well, what happens, like the despair and the reality that he brings in, that's not something that he telegraphs early on. So, uh, no, I don't buy that argument. Like, I saw where this was going ten minutes in. No, you can't. You can't. There is no way. So it, it all it all earns the accolades that it did receive. Shame it didn't light up the box office, but hey, at least um, he's, he's got an, an unappreciated movie finally on his uh, resume. Not finally. I mean, the omnibus thing was appreciated critically, but and it does have to be said. I'm really, really glad that Terracotta chose to release it. He said that it was his wife's decision, for whatever reason, that this was Terracotta's first release, and I'm so glad it was because. The way it came and went, otherwise, far fewer people would have would have found out what it was. Do you know what I mean? Terracotta, Terracotta gave it a little view of saying, "We're a new company. This is this is what we do, and here's our first release." And it's sort of I had English people again coming up to me, going, "Have you heard of this Hansel and Gretel Korean film back in the day?" And they would never, ever have heard of it if it hadn't been for Terracotta. And I'm really glad that they did because it's a lovely, lovely, beautiful film. Indeed, as for availability, it is available available um, on uh, DVD in the UK from Terracotta with uh, plentiful extras that uh, are subtitled and can be bought on DVD for as little as £5 from Amazon. 
which is a steal. But there is also a, um, it wasn't uh, issued at the same time, but by now there is a Blu-ray available as well from Terracotta. And uh, I, I don't know if the, um, of the video, video quality, but hopefully it's good, good, good HD. Uh, but uh, it can also eventually be viewed uh, and rented from uh, Terracotta site. Uh, it's uh, they have a little video window there and all, but uh, the the play button uh, only says coming soon. So eventually they'll offer uh, offer it up on demand, and I'm sure you can rent it for I don't know like a pound or two or something like that. Yeah. And uh, so that's that's that firmly recommended, and uh, I have, I'm happy happy owner of it, and I'm gonna look into if the Blu-ray is. Um, up to up to the quality that you that a Blu-ray should be because when it comes to Blu-rays you have to do your research. If you know many many many, I'm I'm not saying Terracotta is like this, but many many companies that you think would know better, they they don't. You know, yeah, like yeah. the the many Hong Kong companies in particular, they uh, they just throw a DVD onto the Blu-ray essentially and call that a Blu-ray, and uh, and and the Blu-ray in the UK is about. Seventeen pounds. So I, I hope, I hope to God uh, that uh, it's a good HD transfer because uh, the DVD looks good, but um, high definition could make the uh, production design stand out even more. You know, hey, what's that in the background? I mean, there's like a million elements in there sometimes. You know, massively. The woman, the woman created an entire world from scratch. And speaking of, anyone listening to this wants to know a little bit more about the production design, go to my site, angleslayoi.com. There's a an interview with Ryu Sungi, the production designer, and I and a couple of other people asked her quite a bit about Hansel and Gretel. So, and some of her answers are very surprising and very informed and very interesting. I think so. Go and have a read. You know, without spoiling your uh, interview, but uh, here's my spontaneous question: Did you guys ask about if these were like all the toys and what have you? If this this was like created for the film or did you go to like a thrift many thrift stores and got like used toys or massively i i sort of i brought up the whole thing of because it's a complete fantasy world was it different to create and you know production design for something reality based and she she did the whole i decided to go from scratch she couldn't they didn't have the money to go to stores and whatever else so everything you see there was created from the mind of Rio Sungi you know I mean she she built that world herself and when you look at it it's so incredible I mean that you mean that attic set is is not just like the cobweb attic set from a horror movie but it's like so much more like it's almost like someone shaking this world you know like a snow globe or something and then it lands in totally and when, when, and when you think of the fact that she essentially started with nothing and created all that herself you just i sat in awe in front of her just thinking it doesn't bear it doesn't bear thinking about you know what i mean it really doesn't any huge korean film you can think of she product did production design. She's worked. She did Old oh Boy. She did Thirst. She did the Vengeance trilogy. She's she's done it all. She's worked with Bong Joon Ho. She did the host. She did. She's like the only one. It sounds like in her field. Yeah, right? <laughs> she yeah exactly. You know I mean you take a big Korean film. You get the DVD. You look on the back, and I will almost guarantee you production design will be by Ryu Sungi. Um, she's done everything. We're done, I suppose. And uh, next time, I, I, the thing is, well, I, we don't have any, anything to announce actually, but I, because I don't plan these shows that far in advance. Uh, I mean, uh, it's, it, it's not my to give you an incredibly fascinating insight into how I work. I can't work, I can't work that way. I need this done and edited before I even start another outline. So that's why we don't have anything else to announce. Uh, I don't. Uh, I was about to say I don't own any any more Korean movies. All my choices are on the podcasts, uh, but uh, 
we are possibly, you know, doing the mixture of uh, something very much older or slightly older from the Korean Film Archive YouTube channel. Some defining classic, if you will, and maybe juxtaposing it with a somewhat more modern entry, be it uh, an 80s movie or a 90s movie like akin to before. So stay tuned to the Facebook group for announcement on that to note what, what we will cover in the next What Korean Cinema. And I'll find out next episode. What's, what, what that Korean cinema is. So, but now I know. Now I know what Breathless and Hansel and Gretel is. I, I've seen these movies before. I, I, I should state it. I mean, they were my picks, but uh, very much, uh, very much worthwhile to get on the show. So they were personal favorites rather than me being, being recommended, uh, recommended them. So I was in the loop for once. Uh, but right, we are done. So some quick uh, contact information before we sign off. And this has been What's Korean Cinema on podcastonfire.com. We are there along with other shows and bonus episodes uh, last time me and paul did a massive bonus, uh, bonus episode on the general's son trilogy finishing finishing that off so you can check out what's korean cinema in bonus episode form we have an email available for you as well to send questions and feedback podcast on fire at googlemail.com like our page on facebook facebook.com forward slash puf network Join the discussion group, uh, type in Podcast on Fire Network in the Facebook search bar to find us, and follow our tweets. We are at Podcast on Fire. My reviews of Hong Kong movies and Taiwanese movies mainly, so goodreviews.com and the video reviews at slazykvideo.com, and my tweets at so good reviews. That's my Twitter handle. We are available on iTunes, What's Korean Cinema, that is. Rate and subscribe, and if you have the time, please leave a written comment about uh, what you thought of uh, this show or any other show. And uh, finally, on my end, Stitcher Radio is uh, where you can stream our shows. You can do that through their website, but the smoothest way to do so is through the application available on the Apple App Store and Google App Store. And once you're in Stitcher, type in, for instance, What's Korean Cinema to find us. And uh, for reference sake, uh, list your URL or URLs again, Paul. I'm hangelcelluloid.com. You can get me on Facebook at facebook.com slash hangelcelluloid. I'm on Twitter at, at hangelcelluloid. Um, as long as you can remember the, the hangelcelluloid bit, you can find me anywhere, really. All righty. So that's us. Thank you very, very much. What Korean Cinema 15 is at an end. So I'll uh, see you next time. So thank you, Paul, and uh, bye-bye. Cheers. Thank you.